Paving the Way with Prayer is Dr. Joel Hunter's sermon series. His fourth message will deal with the subject, Preparation in Prayer, Serving. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter has chosen the first chapter of Luke, verses 56 through 80, as his scripture text, and it reads as follows. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it came about that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. And his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to call his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us, and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, salvation from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's bow before our king together. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to wait any longer, that you are Emmanuel, 
God with us. And I pray that today we would be wise men and come before you laying our treasures, the most important things in our lives at your feet, acknowledging you as king of every aspect of our life. Thank you, Father. And in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm at your service, Frank. Oh, please. We don't need to treat each other like that. Only our bosses, eh? (laughs) Speaking of which, mine's going a bit power crazy lately. Originally, I was hired for, you know, just light household duties, serving at dinner time, taking out the dry cleaning. You know, standard manservant duties. But it seems like every week he adds something extra. And this, oh, this is the last straw. What is it that he requires of you? He wants me to wash his feet each night before bedtime. I'm absolutely furious. I'm going to be somebody someday. I'm not always going to be a manservant. I'm going to make it. And when I do, I'll have manservants of my own. And you can bet they'll wash my feet, night and morning. If you don't mind my asking, sir. Oh, please, don't treat me like that. I haven't made it yet. (laughs) Well, it is my... Master's wish that I regard others more highly than myself. Oh, dear. I had heard your master was tough. Say, how about coming in with me? You and I, we could start a business together, leave all this humiliation behind, make a name for ourselves, instead of always being in somebody's shadow. Well, I I prefer to think of myself as my master's reflection, not his shadow. (laughs) Oh, right. Then you're not interested in making a break? No. No, I I could not bear not serving him. Oh, spare me. (laughs) That borders on sick, my friend. You need to be your own man. In a womanly sort of way. Are you planning on being a servant all of your life? I'm a servant to the king. To the king. I am the king's right hand and his left foot. I am his voice. I represent the king. Yes, I do hope I hold this position for the rest of my life. You may indeed make it one day. And then, who shall you be? You will be Frank Roberts, as you are now. You will never be the king. And yet, I can serve the king. Now, if I may ask... What was your original reason for our meeting? Oh, yes. Well, this uh, feet-washing kick that my master's on, I'd heard that this was practiced in your household, and I thought perhaps you could give me the inside track. Yes, we do have a foot bath every evening. Oh, good. Could you show me the proper method? No. (laughs) Oh, come on. Share the inside tips. How do you wash your master's feet? I don't. He washes mine. Oh, Turn to the first chapter in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll talk about servanthood. We'll talk about the difference between being a servant, no, a slave of God, and a servant of people. What is the difference between a biblical understanding of being a servant and a human understanding of serving others? You know that we are in a call to prayer in our church. That as we believe that God is going to come among his people in a whole new way, 
that our proper response is prayer. And you know that we have been talking about different characters in the original Christmas story and how they um, ushered in uh, God's new appearance. And you, don't, you know we, we wanted to include some of those things in our own prayer life, the facet of silence, the facet of submission, the facet of praise. All three of those are summarized in this morning's teaching and in this morning's scripture. At the birth of John the Baptist, which begins to be told about in verse 57. I won't read all of these verses to you. They're very numerous. But I'll tell you about them. They are gathered for the birth of John the Baptist. And there's a great celebration. And after Zacharias repeats the name that the angel had told him for his son... The Bible says, His mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Now, a couple of verses later, it talks about exactly what he said as he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And if you read this story carefully, what he says is not what I would have expected him to say. Here's a man and woman who are very advanced in years. God has given them a central place in history. God has given them the answer to all of their prayers, that is, a son. And what comes out of his mouth has almost nothing to do with his place in history or a son being born and his place in history. There's only a couple of lines in all of this Benedictus, that's the historical terminology for this piece of phrase here. It comes from the first word, blessed. Blessed is Benedictus in Latin. So there's almost, there's almost no mention, only a couple of phrases referring to his son at all. What is he referring to? He's referring to the glory of God. Blessed be the Lord of God of Israel, for he has visited and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets, and so on and so forth. Almost no mention of his son John. How can this be? Why would this be? Well, I believe that there are three things that Zacharias can teach us by his character that we can learn about serving God. Three qualities that will make us, that we can pray for, to make us an effective slave of God. Now, I know that term may give you some pause, and I hope it does, because it's a very serious term. But let me explain it to you. You see, in the nine months of silence, Zacharias got some perspective on this whole thing. And the perspective he got was this. As central a place as I have in history, I really have no place. It is God who is central in history, not me. It is what God is doing in history, not me. And it is what God will do in history, not my son. And therefore, my praise must focus on God. First principle of being an effective servant is that it is not about what you do. Servanthood is not about what you do or about how well you do it. 
It's all about who you do it for. It's all about who you do it for. You know, it is such a monumental thing for people to give up their place in history. Because most people are told all of their lives, you need to go out and find your place. You need to go out and find your role in history. You need to go out and find yourself. Or they're told just the opposite. Go make a place for yourself in history. Do something that will count. And then we get this image of what Scripture says ought to be a servant. And we have almost no place. One of the things that used to bother me when I first became a Christian was the amount of time that mature Christians spent talking about what God was doing instead of planning on what they ought to be doing. I never understood this. I was learning volumes. I was reading everything I could get my hands on. And so I was concentrating daily on an increase of knowledge. And I was learning um, logarithmically. I mean, I could not read enough and could not read the great theologians enough. But there's an old Japanese proverb that says, learning without wisdom is like a bunch of books on the back of an ass. I like the imagery because that's exactly where I was. I had a bunch of books on me, but it hadn't mixed in with my perception yet. The reason I love to be around these mature Christians is because of their manner, their giving, their their graciousness, their love. But it wasn't normal to me that they wouldn't talk about themselves more than they did. It wasn't normal to me that they couldn't open their mouths without talking about what God was doing. It wasn't normal to me till later on, till I understood that their knowledge had mixed in with their perception. And when they looked, what they saw was God. It wasn't primarily people. It was what God was doing in the life of people. They had given over their central place in history to the one who truly needed to occupy it, and that was God. We had our staff Christmas party a couple nights ago, and, uh, and it was absolutely, I just, I love the people in ministry that you have for your staff here. I tell you what, it is marvelous to, to, Mixed with these folks. They're great. They love God. They, uh, they're just wonderful people. And there came a time in that when we all started, uh, we stood around the piano and we were singing uh, carols after we had done some things that were just hilarious. And, and uh, so we stood around. It was called for the more you know, somber part of the evening. And we were standing around. And, and, uh, and Vernon just stops and says, you know, let's do what we did the other day in church. And let's just talk about God for a while and what he's doing. And I tell you what, there was the most wonderful outpouring of what God was doing, almost nothing about people's individual lives, just what they saw God doing. And I got nostalgic. You know, I always, I always do that. The older you get, the more you remember, you know. And, and, and so I was getting nostalgic, and I was, I, I was just looking at this crowd of incredibly gifted servants and I was remembering eight and a half years ago when, when I came here and just how different the church looked now. 
Uh, and, and I can't tell you, if you weren't here, I cannot tell you the difference between how the church looks, you know. Um, you know, now, you know, we have, a, a, you know, maybe a distraction of somebody forgetting a word and a lyric or something like that. Then we had distractions. I mean, when you came into worship, there could very well be a rat running across the front of this building. I mean, it was an absolute mess. I cannot tell you what it was like to worship. There was There were bathrooms right off of the worship space here. And there I can remember people literally in the middle of a sermon. I mean, I'm getting right to the good part. Somebody gets up, walks into the bathroom, does not shut the door. You hear this big flush, you know. Happens Sunday after Sunday. I couldn't believe it. I remember saying to my wife, Honey, you've got to quit doing that. No, I didn't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what makes me do that. But there were a group of people who were hurting. I remember coming here, and I can remember the disorientation and the discouragement and the, the insecurity. I'm talking about me now. I'm not talking about them. I don't, they had their own problems. We were a hurting group of people. But one of the differences that I see now, that I saw then, then we were seeking God with all of our heart. But now we're talking about what God's doing with all of our heart. There's a world of difference. There still is hurt. There still is a lot of hurt. Walking wounded is who we are. But the focus is different. Because the focus is on what God is doing. And that gives up our central place in history. Just as God gave up His central place, that of transcending history, to come down to us, so we must give up our central place. Secondly, it is very evident from His Almost non-mention of himself, well he didn't mention himself, his almost non-mention of his son, that Zacharias had fully given up the strongest part of his life to God. Now, here's something to think about. We've just seen this wonderful little skit here. And it was very evident that the servant of the king wanted no, um, no place to go out and, and make a name for herself. And that certainly illustrates the first point. But what about the second point? The point of having her feet washed. Do you understand that becoming a Christian often starts with giving God our weaknesses and often stays there? Now, I please don't misunderstand. Giving God our weaknesses is the legitimate start. Because when we see all of our weaknesses, it's a major thing to give those up. It's a major thing to say to God, God, I have no strength in this area. I need you. It's a major thing to say to God, God, I have a horrible, ongoing stronghold of weakness in this area of sin. I need you. I don't even want to give it up. But I want to want to give it up. I need you. That's a wonderful thing. But let me say that that's not servanthood. Servanthood is when we give up our strength 
to God. When we give up the strongest points of our lives, when we give up those things we had always hoped for, and we realize they were never ours in the first place. Do you understand how Mary did that? Do you understand that when she said, Behold, the servant of the Lord, she used the term slave, and she gave up every right she thought she had to everything strong in her life. The only thing we really know about Mary is that she had three things going for her. Number one, she was pure. Number two, she was of good reputation. And number three, she hoped for a normal marriage and family life. All three of those she gave up to God when he came to her. Those were her strength. And she gave them to God. Do you know about Zacharias? About the years of prayer that he and Elizabeth poured into the hope for a child. And then when God answered their prayer, to know they didn't own the child. That the child was simply there to glorify and to be used by God. That is being a servant. That is being a slave. I know how tough it is to understand that message in this culture today because just about every sentence I hear has to do with our rights. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. Let me say something that only few of you will understand. You have no rights whatsoever. If there is a God in the universe... We have only gifts. We have no rights. I keep hearing Christians talk about rights. I know that the pro-life movement bases its uh, uh, argument on the right of a child to be born. No. The child does not have a right to be born. God gives the gift of a child. A proper argument for the pro-life movement is you don't have abortions because parents don't kill their babies. That's a proper argument. But it's not instilling a little child with a human right. No. When you understand that God is sovereign, you understand we have no rights. We only have gifts that are given to us by God. And that is the life of a slave. And you know what? There's a difference between serving God so that if you do well, He will bless you, and coming to God and say, God, I'll do the best I can. I'll mess up time and time again. But all I am is yours. The second one is being a servant, a slave, a doulos of God. Now, I know this sounds horrible, and I know it sounds repugnant. In biblical imagery, it is not quite as repugnant as it is in American imagery, because especially Hebrew slaves, as, as the Hebrews would have thought about, uh, uh, through uh, Zacharias and through Mary, um, Hebrew slaves were members of the family. You know, it was a lot more um, costly to maintain a slave than it was to pay to get the work done. 
So therefore, there was a commitment to a slave in a Hebrew household. That Hebrew slave had several advantages. One of which was not to have to go out and establish your own identity and wonder who you were going to be every day. You knew who you were. You were the reflection, the identity of your master. Another one was never to have to worry about your provision. That was your master's responsibility. Big advantage. But the third one was understanding that you were a part of that family. And they thought of you as such. You know, that's why the biblical imagery, slave and friend and son and daughter, get all mixed together in the Bible. We can't ever nail it down. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, For we are to be slaves of Christ. There's that word again, doulos. But then, in John, it says, Jesus is talking to his disciple, John 15, and he says, You know what? Uh, I'm not going to call you slaves anymore. I'm going to call you friends. Because slaves don't know what the master's doing, and you know what the master's doing. And then, not five verses later, he says, You know what? Slaves are not above the master, and so therefore the world's going to hate you just like they hated me. There's that slave word again. They get all mixed together. And then to confuse things even more, in John 1.12 it says, For to as many as believed on the name of God, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. Well, which is it? The answer is yes. It's all. It's all of them. Because you see, slavery in the Old Testament was a mixture of family. But, we must never get out of our mind that until we surrender our strength to God, we have not really committed to Him. Until we have literally died to every right we have, we are not His servants. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't serve God without that step. It's a huge one. It's monumental. But it's important. I heard a story one time years ago about um, a surrendering general coming into the terms of surrender area with a conquering general. And this general had heard of this conquering general's kindness and mercy. And so he decided that he would not go through the proper procedure. Protocol, in that situation, called for him to take his sword and to hand it to the conquering general. He decided that he would invest in his belief that the conquering general would not require that. And so he simply came in to the room and offered his hand. And the conquering general looked at him and said, No. First your sword, then your hand. God would say exactly that to us. First your sword, then your hand. Give me your strength, then mercy, then kindness. Don't presume on my mercy by having this trade off. And lastly, please understand that slavery is not just a matter of giving up all claims to our right, and serving God is not just a matter of giving up all claims to our own authority. But it is never again being able to separate us from God. You know, John the Baptist would never again have his own ministry. 
He would forever be connected to Jesus Christ. He was simply a forerunner of Christ. You shall be called a prophet of the Most High. Connection. For you shall go before the Lord to prepare His ways. You see, there was no separation. In the world, when we're serving people, we can separate. And we can, okay, now I'm on my own time. There is no separation like that in Christ. Now again, that's not all bad. That's not all bad because we get to represent Him and that's a wonderful thing. What a privilege that is. What a gift we have to offer other people that's not at all ours. I don't know if very many of you remember, years and years ago there was a uh, television program on called The Millionaire. Anybody remember seeing that? Millionaire, yeah. I used to watch that all the time. For you guys who have never seen that, the plot was this, same plot every week. There would be a guy who would come in in a business suit and a, and a briefcase, and he was a representative of a multi-multi-millionaire. And every time he went into somebody's house, he'd hand him a check for a million dollars. Back then, a million dollars was big money. Now, the plot then was about what would happen to the people after they had uh, supposedly all the money they would ever need, how that would change their lives. But I was absolutely fascinated with that program for two reasons. First of all, because I wanted to get a good look at that guy in case he ever came to my door. <laughs> I wanted to let him in. But secondly, here comes this guy in with all of this authority and with all of the resources in his possession, yet none of them are his. He is simply a representative of a person we never see who has all of those resources. He's simply a delivery boy. Well, I hope it doesn't bruise our ego to, too much to simply admit we're delivery boys. That's all we are. But look what we're delivering. And look for whom we are delivering and to whom we are delivering. It's a wonderful position to be in. And that's the attitude we need to have. Number three, we need to have the gladness of being connected to the God who deserves the central place in history and deserves everything we are. Let me tell you one more story, and I'll quit. When I was growing up, there was I grew up in a small town, and there was a doctor in our hometown that was kind of a hometown hero. Now, when you grow up in a small town, you do have certain individuals in the community that everybody knows and everybody respects. And that's the atmosphere in which I grew up. And so here was this doctor that was absolutely a wonderful man. I can still picture him. And uh, he was a kindly old grandfather, kind of kind of looked like uh, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, when he was, you know, hanging things, you know, and, the, and uh, just a fascinating guy. One of the kind, he, he did everything for the community. He served on the school board. He, you know, helped the, I mean, he did everything. Wonderful, wonderful man. He had three boys, one of whom became a physician. Now, this doctor passed away. The whole town was in mourning. Absolutely, you know, loved this man. The son who became a physician came back to practice medicine in his father's office. Now, I want you to picture about this. Think about this with me just for a minute. How difficult would that be? How difficult was it? I knew from first-hand knowledge for this young man who was immensely talented 
and able to give his own gifts and do things his father had never done, technically, technologically, and heal things his father had never been able to touch because of his knowledge. Here's this young man operating out of his father's office, and every time somebody opens their mouth, it's about his dad. It's not about him. And every time he contributes something good and does something good for people, they tell another story about his dad, not about him. He can't possibly do anything well enough that will make people think about him. All they can talk about to him is his dad. And as I was growing up, I was thinking, that would be a horrible position to be in. But one day... I heard somebody ask him, isn't it awful that no matter what you do, people don't talk about anything except your dad? And he looked at them, didn't even hesitate, and said, I would not have it any other way. Friends, that's who we got to be like. We need to serve God in such a way that no matter what we do, they can't talk about anything but our dad. Because he's the one that deserves the credit. And we're just the messengers. Pray with me. Dear heavenly, glorious, almighty God, who left the throne of heaven to come to the manger for our sake. Who came not to be served, but to serve. Imprint that image of Christ onto our hearts. God, there may be some people here today who have never understood what serving you is. That they literally have to die to every strength and every right of their own life in order to be your slaves. By the same token, there may be some other people here who all their lives worked and slaved in strict obedience but never enjoyed the fact that they were members of the family and that being your slave is not like being someone who is a mechanical, obedient robot <laughs> that we have as any of your children all of the benefits of heaven. Father, minister to both today. Let both put themselves in your arms and dedicate us all to even deeper service, even more conversation about what you're doing and not about what we're doing. Give us the eyes that we'll see in terms of revelation so that we can tell others how good you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.